This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au It's time to take a moment. A moment to slow down. A moment to pause. A moment to remember. Who are we? God's holy people, the faithful in Christ Jesus. And when we feel unwanted, chosen before the creation of the world, in love, by love, for love. And when we've made a mess, we remember we were made alive together with Christ, even when we were dead in sin. We are God's handiwork. When we can't seem to agree, we are one, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one Father, one faith. When we've had enough, we remember to live a life of love. Do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. When we're too weak to fight, we put on the full armor of God so that we can stand. Peace and love to you, to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Alrighty. Good everyone. Big welcome. My name is James Dawson, one of the pastors here at Anchor. I want to echo James Wong's welcome. If this is your first time, I just want to say thank you for your courage for coming. I, I walked into a brand new gym this week, and yeah, about time. And um, I went early, and I got out of the car, and then I froze, went back into the car, Felt really insecure, a bit of shame. I'm like, man, everyone in there is just so much fitter than me, and I don't know anyone, I don't know what it's about. And I mustered up the courage, and I, you know, you suck yourself up in the gym. And I went back in, and I just went for it, and I was very welcomed. Anyway, afterwards, you know, I'm, I'm a preacher. I was like, oh, that's, that's what it must feel like going into church for the first time, or maybe for the first time in a while, that it's foreign, it's scary. I don't know, you might feel like you're going to be judged with where you're at, and I just want to speak against that. Really thankful that you're here, and I think you'll find people that are on a a similar journey to where you're at. They're just looking for meaning and transcendence and purpose in this life. So, so glad that you're here and you made the effort to come. You joined us in a great series, Tear Down the Walls. We're working through Ephesians, and last week, Brad Coleman really helpfully 
turn the corner for us in Ephesians. In Ephesians 1 to 3, we get this beautiful vision of this new humanity that God has done through Jesus in us. And then Ephesians 4, there's this, the door turns on the hinges and we get to see the backside. And it's all about how we live as this new humanity. And today, one point sermon. If you're taking notes, if you're on your phone, write this down. Behaviour follows identity. Behaviour follows identity. That's it, let me pray. No, 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 no. we've got to see it in Scripture. I'll unpack it a bit. Um, Behaviour follows identity. I think this is really key for us because I think a lot of secular people would look at the church and think, man, they're just all about behaviour. You know, they're, they're the moral police. You know, they're all about behaviour modification. And if someone doesn't behave like we do, let's get them back in line. And I think as we, as we look in Scripture, and, and particularly Ephesians, Paul has this core conviction. And the moment you see it, it just pops up everywhere, that our sense of behaviour, what we do on the surface, comes from this sense of who we are, our identity, what we value, what we think we find our worth in. What is the story that we have? And I think if he was to hear that church in some circles has become about behavior and outward appearance, he'd just be like, ay, ay, ay. They've just got it so wrong on such a fundamental level. And Paul is always challenging his people to firstly become who you are. Become who you actually are. And this, this outward thing, this behaviour that we do, this just surface phenomenon, and it's actually coming from this stuff that happens below the surface. Let me share, let me share a story that I think will help to, to whet our appetite about this idea that behaviour follows identity. You're gonna, I want to introduce you to someone. Her face is going to pop up on the screen. Her name is Crystal Jones. I had this amazing story about her. Um, she's from Atlanta, she joined this initiative called Teach for America, and they're, they're teachers that are either training at college or they are young teachers and they go into poor neighbourhoods and under, underprivileged, low-income areas, and they go to teach. Now, Crystal Jones, she was thrown in the deep end. She got first grade. Now, there's no kindergarten in this school, so these kids, they're showing up, they, they don't know how to read, they don't know how to write. Some of them, she said, don't even know how to hold a pencil or read the right way up. So she's got a big task ahead of herself. And she started to think, she started to reflect, how do I motivate these kids? How do I motivate these kids to learn? And she thought about the psychology of first graders and how do they think about the world and who do they look up to? And one day she said, she was on the playground and she looked at these first grade class of hers and who did they look up to? They looked up to the third graders because the third graders, they run a bit faster. They're a bit bigger. They've got a few more words than we do. And so she made this decision. Kids all came back into class and she got up and said, hello, I am Crystal Jones, I am your teacher and I am going to make all of you into first graders, sorry, into third graders. So she got up and she said, I'm going to make all of you 
into third graders. And she shaped all of her curriculum and all of her teaching, all of her content into becoming a third grader. And she also did something else. She did something really beautiful. She said, I am going to call you all scholars. So I'm not going to call you by your name. I'm going to call you Scholar Dawson or Scholar Miles. We're not going to refer to each other by our names. You're now Scholar. And she would get up at the start of every lesson and say, I'm Crystal Jones, and I'm going to make you all into third graders. And they all got up together and said, I am a scholar. And a scholar loves to learn and is really good at it. And you know what happened? She goes, after a few months of this, I had them. I had them. They were with me. And some of, suddenly all of these kids, if they had a doctor's appointment or they were sick, they were upset. No, 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 mom, dad, I need to go to school because what if I don't become a third grader? You know, suddenly their attitude, these kids, they don't want to go to school. The stories that they have, they don't know how to read and write. Now they're hungry to learn. And she said, all of these kids after 12 months, they all passed. They all passed first grade and progressed onwards. It's an incredible story. It's an incredible story. And I think some of you are already picking up what's happening here. She did something really beautiful. She created a community, an environment, and she made a decision about them. You are all becoming third graders. That's what you're all doing. She didn't reckon about their circumstance. She didn't care about their background. She didn't care about their skill level. She said, no, you are becoming third graders and you have this new mindset, this new identity. You're all scholars. And I don't care where you've come from, but you're going you're gonna to live to learn and you're going to become good at it. And the kids are like, yeah, I'm a scholar and I'm going to live to learn and you better sit down and shut up and listen because we're all going to become third graders together. Behaviour flowing out of identity. Now keep that story in the back of your mind because we're going to come back to it. And I want, you to, I want you to observe as this idea just jumps off the page of Ephesians 4. Just jumps off the page. And once you see it, I don't think you can ever unsee it, that our sense of behaviour, how we act, comes out from our identity and how we think of ourselves. Now come with me. Now, sermon's just like, it's like a road trip. We're all just going to get on this bus and we're going to take a drive and every now and then we're going to see something cool and we're going to stop for a second. And then we're like, okay, we're done with that and then we're going to keep moving. So let's, let's go on this trip together. Ephesians 4, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you, remember you in Ephesians, it's y'all, you all, must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. We're just going to stop there. It's a quick stop. You got me all riled up. We're going to stop right there. Because if we don't capture what Paul just did here, and it's very subtle and we can skim past it, we're going to miss the whole point of this sermon. He says that you must no longer, you all must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now stop and think this through. Who is Paul talking to? He's actually, he's actually talking to some Gentiles here. So Ephesians 3, a page back over, first verse. I, Paul, prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you, Gentiles. Go back again. Ephesians 2, 11. He's saying, therefore, remember at one time, you, Gentiles. So 
he's speaking to Gentiles and he's saying, you must no longer walk and live like them. Now, just quickly, what is Gentile? What are you talking about? Just quickly, it's, a, it's an ethnic category. It just means non-Jewish person. So in other words, it's actually most of humanity. And Paul's saying to them, you must no longer live like a Gentile. And this, this is quite challenging. Imagine Paul writing to us, to Anchor Church. He's going, hey, g'day, g'day, Aussies. I don't know, Paul probably, he's not that nuanced, but he'd say, Aussies, stop living like Aussies. That's essentially what he's doing there. And it's confronting and it's challenging. And he's either mindlessly contradicting himself or he's actually doing something quite deep and profound. He's actually saying, in other words, if you're a Christian, your identity isn't primarily in your ethnicity. If you're a Christian, your identity is primarily not in who you grew up as. You actually have a new story. You have a new compass. You have a new set, like bearing and sense of value and worth than what you grew up in. And there's something else he does. Just in a few sentences, he says he's going to call us this new humanity, those that are believers in Jesus, that we're something brand new. And part of this new humanity, this begins with this, this new human, Jesus, who lived and died and was raised for us. And this first sentence is challenging. And he's going straight at their sense of identity. He's saying, no longer walk as a Gentile. You Aussies, you no longer walk as Aussies. You are something brand new. All right, let's, let's get back on the bus and let's keep walking. Let's keep driving. Paul continues. Verse 18, these Gentiles, they are, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed to every practice and every kind of impurity. Now, Paul, this is a very bleak portrait of humanity that he's saying that the world lives in. And what's he getting at here? What's he getting at these people that have lost this sense of sensitivity and how to think? Because I think you could object to this saying, does this mean that, and if you're not a Christian, that you don't know how to sit, you don't know how to, how to think, and you don't have any sense of right or wrong? I actually don't think that's exactly what he's getting at. I actually think what he's getting at here is this sense of, You've lost your sensitivity to, to moral formation. You've lost your sensitivity to, to moral formation and knowledge. And, and I think this word here, verse 19, they have become callous, is actually just a really helpful image for, for us to understand what he's trying to challenge here. He's saying that the world, they've actually become calloused to the things that potentially are quite destructive to ourselves and destructive to our neighbours. And he uses this word here, and that's actually, I think, really helpful. I don't know if you guys have calluses. Um, I'm a bit of a desk jockey these days. I'm a bit embarrassed about that, hence joining a new gym. But back in the day, I formed these, and I still have them, these, these thick calluses just under my finger. I remember school holidays, I worked landscape, and I had to, had to pick up these 
wheelbarrows that had splintered wooden you know, handles, and I had to carry them and just carry soil and bricks and mulch and soil and bricks and mulch. And I remember the first day I came back and just bloodied hands. The, pe- the, the skin had peeled back because it was too sensitive and all I could feel was raw skin. But eventually what happens when you go back and you do something repeatedly and repeatedly becomes callous. The skin actually becomes hard. And I think this is helpful because Paul's actually saying, how does someone, how does a person become morally calloused where you become slowly over time hardened to something? And something you might have sensed was damaging to yourself and damaging to others. You just couldn't help but go back. And you go back again. And you go back again. And eventually, we just, we just form calluses. And our heart and our minds can become hard. And he's saying that we can, cause, we can, we can get these calluses in, in multiple different ways. And that we can become ignorant and this hardening of our hearts. And then Paul beautifully says that this is, this is actually part of the old humanity. This isn't who you are. You actually have a new story and a new vision for how you can live your life. And he, go, he, and he goes on here. Verse 20. Let's keep moving. But that is not the way you learned Christ. This old calloused way. That's not the way you learned Christ. 21. Assuming that you have heard about him and you were taught in him as the truth in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the minds of your, the spirit of your mind, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness. Man, there's a lot of cool things happening in these few verses, but I just want to zoom in on one thing, and this one word is actually, I think, going to unlock a lot of this, and it's the word self. Um, there's actually a slide that's going to come up. Um, we're going to do a bit of Greek geek action, and I know you're sure, James Dawson, you've never done this before, but I think this is going to actually be really helpful for us understanding what Paul's getting at here. So 22, he says, take off your old self and put on, put on your new self. And this word there in Greek is called anthropos. And the English word for it is actually called humanity. And so he's saying to us, put off your old humanity and put on your new humanity. Now, what's that about? (laughs) How how do I do that? And a really kind of loose but exciting translation that I heard about this word self in Ephesians 4, he actually says that you're actually a new species that you can put on this new species. You're something so different that your actual, your sense of biology has changed. And when I think about species, things that have, things that have changed and transformed, there's a, there's a metamorphosis. I think about caterpillars to butterflies. And, and this video is going to come up because... We cut the sound, YouTube. Sorry. That was, that was very dramatic. But this video here, we can't cut the sound. We'll just leave it there. I'll show you the image. Now, there we go. We've muted it. So it's going there. So what happens with a caterpillar? 
What happens with a caterpillar, this metamorphosis that becomes this new species where, I don't know if you guys know this, when a caterpillar becomes a butterfly, it actually dies. It actually fully dies. And you're seeing here, it gets in its cocoon and it actually dies and its, its former self has gone. And over a period of time, it just becomes something new. It becomes something brand new. And essentially, what Paul's saying here is that the gospel, it enters your life and the story about Jesus is so transformative, it actually messes with your sense of self, your sense of humanity. And he's saying you need to start from ground zero. You need to start from ground zero again and rebuild your whole view of yourself and of others and of God. And it's this, it's this metamorphosis that's happening. It's like a caterpillar dying to its old self, its old stories and its old identity. And, and it's actually quite profound. It's so different to who we were and who we are. None of you are listening to what I'm saying. You're, 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 mesmer, you're mesmerized by it. It's beautiful. But this is... This isn't... There's no perfect metaphor for what happens to us when we become a Christian. But this is pretty close. This is pretty close that we, we die to who we were, our old stories, our old compass, and we become something brand new. Look at that. Look at this beautiful butterfly. That's it. I'm so sorry. You're all going to go home and watch David Attenborough now. You're all inspired. A caterpillar turning into a butterfly. And this is the good news about Jesus. I don't know how you walked in, in, in here this morning. I don't know how you feel and... This big half-Asian man is saying, you're something totally different. You're actually, you're not who you are. And I don't know how your behavior has been this last month and the, the things that you don't want anyone else to know or hear about. That is not your ultimate identity. That Jesus's commitment to you is so strong that even screwed up people like us, his commitment to us is so permanent and it's so motivated by love. And he has done something in us to make us something brand new. And Paul's constantly reminding us, become not something different, become who you are. Become who you actually are. And hey, you know, when, when we're trying to disciple and encourage one another, we're not saying, hey, stop being a caterpillar and start being a butterfly. No, we're actually saying, hey, you actually are a butterfly and you can act like a butterfly. I know it sounds like a trivial example, but it's actually really profound. Remember, you are a scholar. You're a scholar, and you live to learn, and you're going to be good at it. And this is a profound truth. A quote I found this week and just continues just to, to deepen the beauty of this. It's just by a Swiss theologian called Karl Barth, and it says that Jesus has become the version of me that I cannot become for myself. That Jesus has become the version of me that I cannot become for myself. That this is, this is Christianity. In all of your striving, in all of your behavior modification on the external, Jesus came, God in flesh came to earth. He lived the life. He became perfection that we couldn't become. And he died the death that we should have died. And he rose in victory that we have. 
so that we can become more like him. And Paul, he's declared this over you. Just like Crystal over the third graders, you're all becoming, so over the first graders, you're all becoming third graders. Paul's declaring over you, you are a new humanity. You are a new species and you are becoming like Jesus. And this is profound. We've got to capture this because we're about to shift with the text to all the behavior that this is the new narrative for our life. This is the most foundational, truest thing about us outside of everything else that we are loved. That before you're even born, before the even foundations of the earth, Ephesians says, God set his will and his affection upon you. And he demonstrated that with the ultimate act of love by sending Jesus. And so the story, your identity, the truest thing about you is that you are loved by the creator God and you have evidence of that through Jesus. That is who you are. That is who you are. Now we're going to shift here into from our identity into behaviour. And the text does this as well. And he says... There's all these different scenarios about how we're supposed to live and love one another. And Paul has this vision that now at the centre of your life, it's not you. That's what the old humanity was like. That's what caterpillars did. And now we're this new humanity and and butterflies. They have at the centre of their life God, but they also have the centre of their life other people. And that affects how we live and love others. And man, with the time that I have, I just can't go through every single kind of declaratory thing he's saying over his people, but I'm just going to zoom in on some. And can I just encourage you just to pick one? Listen to the Spirit, one-point sermon, and just pick one of these applications. Because if you try and remember all four, you're going to be thrown. First one he goes after is the new humanity. They actually rethink lying. So verse 25, Therefore put away falsehood, Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbour, for we are members, we are members one of another. So saying, put away falsehood, put away lying. And he addresses this old humanity practice of lying, and then it encounters, I love it, he contrasts it with this new humanity practice of truth telling. And now what what is lying? What is lying? Put another way. I just think lying is it's projecting a false, false version of myself. I need to, it's something I need to protect. There's something I may be ashamed of, and it's, it's projection management. I need others to perceive me as something different. And I think, remember, out of your identity, I wouldn't say to you, stop lying. I would say to you, you don't need to protect and be insecure of who you are. You don't need to do that. You don't need to do the projection management anymore. And Paul's saying, remember, you're you're members of one body together. We're a community of people that actually acknowledges that Jesus has to die for us. That's foundational. We're we're all here because of that, that we're actually not perfect. And you don't need to project this perfect version of yourself. And he's saying, no, this new humanity is one that is secure because you're loved. The lying, that's, that's for caterpillars. That's caterpillar behavior. You don't need to project this false version be secure in who you are, that you are loved and therefore act like one who is truth-telling. So that's lying. We're going to keep moving at a pace here because there's, there's a few to get through. Next up, he addresses anger. Verse 26, 
Be angry. Such interesting. Christians can be angry. But do not sin. And do not let the sun go down on your anger. And catch this. Therefore, giving no opportunity to the devil. Just while I'm on this, this is a little side note. This is a whole sermon series on this. Go read the New Testament where you see devil or spiritual attack. And it's very often in the context of relationships. That when two people, when there's anger and there's space there, that that's, that's actually where you will give the devil a foothold. Anyway, that was for free. So talking about anger here, how are you going to deal with this? Paul's saying that you actually have, you have a choice. So in your anger, so Christians can get angry about things, and r- rightly so, the, the injustice that can happen in the world. We don't want to be angry, but in your anger, do not sin. And do not let the sun go down on your anger. And again, I've been reflecting on this. Like, What, what is anger? I had this re- really beautiful definition told to me that anger is it's energy produced to protect. That anger is, is energy produced to protect. And it's often to protect ourselves and to protect others. And I think Paul would say to us that in the old humanity, in your anger you don't need to sin, that Paul would encourage us later on that when you're angry with someone, that you can address that person in the situation, in the relationships, and we can talk this out, and we can walk towards forgiveness. Otherwise, that's actually where the devil works. And can I encourage you, if you feel this sense of anger towards anyone in community, any believers, any brothers and sisters, move towards reconciliation. Otherwise, that's where, that's where the devil works. There's actually spiritual attack and forces there in those spaces. So that was anger. We keep moving here. Paul's going to go after stealing. 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. I love this. I love this logic that he says here that now the old humanity that used to have yourself at the center and how they lived and how you formerly lived, you just you took care of yourself. You took care of yourself. And that means I can steal and maybe lie on my tax returns and what I do at work and what I do behind closed doors because it's about taking care of myself. And and Paul's saying, no, new humanity, Jesus is at the center. But very close behind Jesus is actually other people. And so it's actually really beautiful here. You see here, what's the motivation to no longer steal so that you actually have something to share with those in need? That's beautiful vision that this new humanity is one that actually is generous and keeps an eye out for those that have less and those that are in need. And it's actually a remaking slowly into this new humanity, this behavior, because... It's just our default to look after our own and to care about ourselves. And Paul's saying, no, look after those that are in need. You need to stop stealing, not just behavior modification, so that you can actually have a vision of what true community can look like. Now, stay stay with me. It's the last one. It's like, well, buddy, you're telling me a lot of stuff to do. Slow down. Remember, this is actually out of the identity of who we are. We change our behavior. And the last one is our words. And this is, this is actually the one I personally 
It's like I need to do some work with the Lord here. Verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So our words, how in this, this new humanity, this new identity, how does that reshape shape our words? Verse 29, the start there, it says corrupting talk. Now that, that word corrupting is actually, I think, better translated to rot. And I don't know if you guys have ever had like a rotten piece of fruit. I remember in year two, my Mighty Ducks bag, I left a peach in there for like six months. And the smell that it had was putrid. I can smell it now in the back of my throat. And my mum never picked up on it because she'd just give me the lunchbox. I'd chuck it in, whatever. I was eight years old. But this is, this is the word he's saying here. That, why, why would you do that? Why with the words would you throw, throw a rotten peach? out into community. And I don't know if you've experienced that, that when certain words have been spoken over you or into your life, it's actually produced rot and and discouragement. And Paul's giving us a vision here of that when we speak to each other, when you leave GC or when you leave triplets or when you leave conversations with each other, it should feel like you've been given a gift, that grace has been given to you and that that's what the new humanity does. That they actually, it is good for building up and that it may give grace to those who hear. And isn't that a beautiful vision of humanity that our words would not tear down and produce rot in one another, but that it would actually be a gift and it would be good for building up and it would actually feel like we've been apportioned grace. Now those four things there, that was a lot. That was a lot. Lying, anger, stealing, and our words. And again, I'll just invite you just to, just to sit in them. Ask the Spirit to minister to you, like, where would God want me to put off my old self and how I've been behaving there and to actually step into who I really am and change my behaviour? I'm just going to invite the band up as I close. And I really, the biggest sense that I want you all to walk out of here is that I'm not saying change your words, stop lying, stop stealing, stop with your anger. What Paul's saying and what I'm saying is that that is not who you are anymore. That you are a new person, that you are a new species. And I know I'm creeping into next week's sermon here, but I think the logic actually flows perfectly. After all these commands about who we're supposed to be in this new humanity, he does the exact same thing in how he started. He actually challenges their identity. And the start of five, he says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. So again, he's saying, don't don't do all these things just for externals, for surface phenomenon, to impress others. It's actually saying, no, you are a child of God. That is your identity now. And again, this isn't, this isn't some abstract idea. This isn't just some new age psychology. You have something concrete that you can point to and say, that is the truest thing about my value and my worth 
that 2,000 years ago, Jesus did something for me and for you that was the ultimate act of love. And that becomes the truest, most foundational thing about us. And I just want to address kind of two audiences here. You would consider yourself a believer. You're a butterfly now. You're, you're, you're the proverbial scholar. And you just sense that in this last month, you just feel like you haven't acted like it. And there's, there's a sense of shame and there's a sense of, I don't know where to go next. I think Paul would want to say to us, God would want to say to us, He is holding on to you. This is the step, to, step of faith that you can, He is holding on to you as you cling on to Him. And that putting on this new humanity is actually a step of faith. And to continue to encourage one another. And I want to continue to encourage you. Don't change your behavior. Remember who you are. Remember the story that is over your life, that you are loved, that you are a child of God. And you don't have to live like that anymore. You don't have to live like that anymore. You've maybe become calloused to how it might be forming hidden destructive patterns in yourself and to others behind you, behind you, around you. You don't need to live like that, that anymore. That's not who you are. And some of you today, you wouldn't identify yourself as a Christian and you're just trying to figure out what, what, what does this all mean? How does this fit into my life? I just want to say to you, would you allow Jesus to become what you can't become for yourself? Would you allow Jesus to become the version of you that you could never become for yourself? And this first means it acknowledges saying, I actually am a mess. I actually can't perfectly love the people around me and have this secure identity. And that this, this mess that's inside of you, that you'd let it die on the cross and you would allow the God of the universe to speak over you and your identity, that you are loved, that you are a child of His and that you would just see this act of grace, this work in your life. And can I, can I encourage you? And this happened to me when I first came to church. And just watch what happens. Maybe you're skeptic, but just watch what happens. And you get around community and they're affirming this identity in you. And things that you thought you could never overcome, you start demolishing. Because grace is so radical and it's so transformative. So let me pray for us as we, um, yeah, as we worship together. Yeah, Jesus, we just want to declare that what you did on the cross 2,000 years ago, what you did in bearing and taking all of our shame and our mess on the cross in our place for our sins, what you did rising in victory and defeating death, and what you did ascending and reigning, that that is firstly the best news, but it is the ultimate truth over us. And I just want to pray over my brothers and sisters here and those that are watching online that they would receive and comprehend that this is the truest, most foundational thing about them, that they are loved, that they are no longer an old humanity, 
and old species, that they are something brand new. So Jesus, give us a vision of not us changing ourselves, but of us seeing you already transformed and us receiving what you've done so that we can become more like you. Help us to see you and worship you right now for your sake. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.